Guys, it's Jordan back with starting to start up after nine months this time of a hiatus. I finally have the brain power again to come through and be able to share some of what has happened over the last nine months. Now, if you haven't listened to this podcast before or if you gave up on this and forgot about what it was about because you went nine months without hearing my beautiful voice, this is a podcast about my experience starting up two companies and the decisions I make along the way and the lessons learned because Honestly, it's just a lifelong journey I'm finding over and over. So to give you guys an update, this is really the purpose of what today's podcast is going to be. It's really an update of uh, the the high-level things of what has happened over the last nine months or so. Did I say nine months? It seems like I said nine months. It's been nine months. Anyways, uh, so I want to start off, I really want to update with how things are going from High Caliber's perspective. All right, so back when I first, or when I did this last podcast, uh, I was coming back from Andretti. We had pulled systems off for combat carding, and um, we were kind of focusing on what are the things that we're really going to be, uh, what are our priorities that are going to happen. And uh, I'd signed a new deal with an installation that's happening in South Carolina, and along that way, I ended up finding out that basically we were going to be able to get a new fleet of go-karts for high caliber. Well, this kind of brought me back to the team, and we were trying to figure out, like, what are the key things we want to achieve this year? So if you listen to my prior podcast, we are constantly shiny new object. We run sprinting at it, not necessarily knowing if we're making the right decision or not all the time. It's a very typical thing of young companies until they start to really learn where their value is. Well, one of the big values of this was the ability to buy a basically brand new fleet. It was about a nine-month-old fleet of carts for substantially less than what a brand new fleet would cost. Now, our fleet that we had purchased was used when we first started, and we're coming up on, we were four years old in September. We needed something new. We needed something updated. Typically, you're looking for like replacing your carts like every three to five years. When we bought these carts, they were seven years old. These things are freaking dinosaurs. Well, we found the opportunity to buy a brand new fleet there, and we pulled the trigger on that to bring it all in. Now, one of the cool experiences during this was something I had touched about in prior podcasts, and what it was was the value of my time. Now, when we were buying this fleet, I'm working with the owners, I'm trying to give patience and everything to it about when we're going to be purchasing it, and they were so stuck on the idea that they were going to get their new fleet in at the exact same time that the old fleet was going to go out, which is really an unrealistic thing to expect. You really can't do in and out on the exact same day. It's like a week-long process. I kept trying to work with them, kept trying to explain it to them, but they refused to listen to that. So finally, I, to get them to cross the finish line, I had to say, hey, this is the date. I need a date that this is the date that I'm getting these carts, and if it's after that, I'm out. There's no more deal. I'm walking away. So we keep going forward, and they say, okay, this is the date. And I push back. Seems like it shouldn't be that. Do you want to give it a couple extra weeks just in case? And they said, nope, this is definitely it. We're going to do this. Okay, fine. I will be there at this date to get these cards. So I get there and surprise, surprise, it's not going to happen in the time frame they were thinking. But I had made it abundantly clear. We had decisions. We had agreements of what was going to happen in there. And, you know, it's because we had a contract written of what we we're going to work through. We, they, they respected it. Now, 
I'm standing there talking with them and they said, Jordan, we really need this just for a weekend. Is there any way we can make this work? <laughs> As I explained to them, there's so many other pieces lined up into making this work. It's incredibly expensive. And they looked at me and said, I'll give you $20,000. And that stopped me because holy shit, not that there's $20,000, but that somebody's looking at me and saying a weekend of your time is worth $20,000 to me. And that was a shock to me because I've, I've always tried to factor like how much is my hourly time worth? Like if it takes me two hours to mow my lawn out here, how much am I willing to pay somebody to do that so I can focus on things that generate more? So if my time is worth, let's say $100 an hour, I can focus on something and generate you know over $100 an hour of value out of it, then yeah, I would gladly pay somebody $40 an hour to mow my lawn. So obviously, you know, there's breaking points to this. Like, it's not like you're going to work 24 hours a day. So you got to be factor like some of your slow time of when you're non-productive and doing different things and whatnot. But ultimately, having a good value of how much your time is actually worth really helps you understand what are the things that you should be focused on. Well, this was the first time I'd ever had somebody offer me so much for my time. And that made me think, this is a wealthy individual. You don't get wealthy by being stupid. And this is somebody who understands our industry. They don't just throw money out there guessing how much it's worth. This was a vote of confidence that says you are worth this. And it changed my perspective a lot as I was leaving. And what it did is as uh, we got everything in, we started bringing in the new carts and everything. It got me with my team to say, all right, we really need to refocus. What are the things that are our top priorities? Because I just learned that what I thought was my top priorities really probably isn't anymore. And that's going to ever evolve and change. I mean, you hear about people like doing speaking events and stuff and getting paid like a quarter million dollars to come speak for an hour and stuff. And it's, there's reasons for that. It's not that they generate a quarter million dollars of revenue in that one hour. It's the, the information that they share and the uh, motivation and the drive and the thoughtfulness and everything may generate a quarter million dollars additional in revenue over the course of 12 months with the group that they're presenting it to those types of things. So I came back to high caliber and was like, all right, team, what are our priorities this year? And in that process, we identified that we had three main priorities, updating the fleet, replacing our mini carts, or, uh, or I'm sorry, bringing in a fleet of these mini carts meant for kids like between five and eight years old, really five and nine. Um, plus they're super fun. Uh, and then the other thing was we wanted to expand out our arcade. We felt like we had a lot of opportunity still sitting in our arcade area because talking with the vendor partners out there and everything, we learned that that should be a bigger part of our business. So we kind of abandoned all the lower hanging fruit and started structuring our company to focus on these bigger things. Now, these are really big projects. So to give an example, the, the arcade. So we go and we get a quote for the arcade. Comes in at like $1.2 million or so for the arcade games. Plus, we got to do the lighting. We got to update the merchandise area to have a bigger redemption store. Um, you know, all these key components of what an arcade takes to make. Well, so we're looking at it and we're like, okay, it's $1.4 million. What's the return on investment? So we're going through all the data. We're going through all the financials. And along this time, we're meeting with different vendors and suppliers. And we're trying to understand what can our arcade actually do? What are the sales our arcade is capable of generating? Because that's going to tell us what our return on investment is. And if the return on investment is not super strong, we're probably going to extend our revenue share agreement. 
Well, long story short, we go through a bunch of the negotiation process and we decide, well, we're going to buy our own arcade games. And this is with, you know, we have really good partners in our arcade and that was really hard for them to hear. But one of them came back and he gave me an offer to do an arcade revenue share that is going to increase our profitability by almost 15% next year. Just literally doing nothing differently than what we're doing right now. But what I did is I spent time asking people questions, going to our competition, understanding their business model, understanding what makes the industry work. I basically went to college for the arcade. And during that time, I was able to find a way to increase our profitability by 15%. And it's one of those things that when I have the ability to think and focus, I'm able to drive a lot more towards the business. So... We realized this and we said that we need to get to where I have that ability to do that more often. Less of the turn the wrench and more of the get the car into the shop type of thing. So we started structuring out and a lot of people on this uh, or listen to this podcast may have heard of it, but we started working towards a system called EOS, which is the Entrepreneurial Operating System. There's a really good book called Traction, which really breaks this out. And what this is, is really a structured and detailed process on how to set up a company for growth and expansion. And really what it does is it standardizes a lot of things like uh, what are the key, uh, what are our key projects, who's responsible for what, how the meeting rhythm should work and everything. But really it's a, uh, because it structures these things out, it can really make you move a lot faster. Now, EOS is not the only entrepreneurial operating system that's out there. There's a couple of others. It's just... It's a very popular one, especially in the United States and especially in the Midwest. So we started structuring, moving that direction. And along that way, it allowed me to move into what the role is called a visionary. And the visionary role is really somebody who sees where we need to go, what it looks like, and they're uh, really closely tied to the industry trends. And uh, they really work through this guy called the uh, implementer, integrator. I always get the two mixed up, integrator. Um, and the integrator goes out there and he actually gets this stuff done. Um, now, we have consultants in this that are helping us understand this stuff, but I've got Casey who's really getting the shit done that's out there. So now that we're able to focus on these things, we're realizing that these bigger projects are the ones that we're focusing on. We're not focused on this, uh, how much, how can we increase sales today by $1,000, which don't get me wrong, you still have to have people focusing on that. You don't want to lose out on that insight. But now we've been able to focus our things on how do we increase revenue by a million dollars next year, not how do we do a couple of events that will increase it by, you know, three, five thousand dollars per event. And it's the same amount of effort. Now, it doesn't happen overnight. We're still working through this and we still have a long ways to go. We haven't necessarily figured out exactly how to do it. I mean, we got the shiny new object about three months ago and we built out this beautiful banquet space in preparation for the holiday season. So you know, we still get a little bit squirrel out there. We still get sidetracked, but you know, it's, it's working. We're, we're, we're moving along in the process and it's really moving us quickly. Now, after we've been able to do this, I've been able to, I mean, everything's done. I've been able to think more clearly. And what I was starting to do is now that everybody's handling all the small little things, like they're, they're building the car, they're putting the pieces together. I can focus on, okay, what's our next big thing? And our next big thing, as I've been talking for three freaking years about this, is going to a second location. Now, going to a second location was going to be a lot easier a couple years ago. The lending, the cost of lending right now is pretty difficult, and the cost of building is incredibly high. People are not entering this market like they were a couple years ago. But what I was able to do is I went to a event 
called Cart Nation. It's a bunch of cart track owners and myself. We all get together and we talk about our business and what's successful and whatnot and um, really good friends. Well, while I was there, I was just hanging out with one of my friends there and building, you know, just, I say building relationships, but I mean like just hanging out with my freaking friends. And I'm talking with this guy and he's starting to vent about some of the frustrations he has with his business and some of the things he's having with his personal life. And I had been there before. I mean, this was, I mean, I was, I was exact going through exactly what he was experiencing two years ago. And it's some of the toughest stuff I've ever went through in my life. And as he's talking it through, I just looked at him and said, well, why don't I just buy you? And he stopped and was like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'd love to sell to you. And along that way, we started having the conversation and he had a pretty good plan. And now don't get me wrong. This guy, he really knows his shit. He's really detail oriented with his business. I mean, he's taught us how to do a lot in our business. This guy is just some of the most wonderful people you could ever imagine are the two are the owners of this company. So this made this really easy for me. I know what I'm getting. It's a well-run business. It's somebody I trust and he knows exactly what he needs. And the financials that he has are super crisp, very clear cut, easily to explain. Everything is lined up. There's no bullshit hidden and there's no real estate involved, which can really complicate things. But we, uh, he, he leases the, the building. So as we're talking this stuff through and he gives me his multiplying factor of uh, this is how much I expect it to sell for above the EBITDA. Now, EBITDA is everything before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization, which is really like the gross income, I guess I would say. But, um, you know, that not the money that you necessarily put in the bank, but it's the uh, it's what could be put in the bank if you didn't reinvest into things. I guess that'd probably be the best way to do it. And you didn't pay taxes, obviously. So when we went back out and we reviewed this stuff, I was going through it and I was I, I, I had looked at what would it cost me to buy the, or to build this business from scratch. Now, this is already a money generating business with people in it that are that's operating well. It's been operating for many years that I can see financially. He shared his financials with me before we got into the letter, to the uh, process of letter of intent or due diligence, which typically it's offer letter of intent, due diligence process, any change, update or anything to the pricing of that, and then go to closing. That's that's the typical purchase process. We were a little bit off on that one because he's a friend of mine and also he wanted to be incredibly transparent. It is very out of the ordinary to buy a business in that manner. There's times where people buy businesses and they don't even share financials. You just have to be willing to buy it for what you think that it's worth. Um, and a business is only worth as much as somebody is willing to pay for it. So. We go through this whole process and I looked at it and said, okay, let's say it's going to cost me $5 million to build this business from scratch. I'm not going to pay more than six to go to somewhere and buy what's already operating. And, you know, those numbers could change. And you could say, hey, it takes $2 million to build it and I wouldn't pay more than three. Or it doesn't take more than $7 million and I wouldn't pay more than eleven. Whatever. That difference is called uh, goodwill or blue sky, which is basically... Uh, the book of business and the, uh, the, the the ability for that business to continue to build uh, revenue starting day one. And going through that, you know, we, we were able to find our deal, but I was like, I'm not willing to pay over X, this amount. Now, we agreed to that multiplying factor on EBITDA, but if it comes in valued at more than this amount, I really can't do anything with it. Just because when I look at the debt service and everything to it, it doesn't make sense for me to be able to pay more than that. And so I gave the correlation to the owner. I said, it's great. You're basically telling me you have a $1 million home that you're willing to cut me a deal for and say, I'll sell it to you for a half a million dollars. Even though here is a valuation right here 
that shows it's worth a million dollars and you even agree it's worth a million dollars, I'll sell it to you for 500,000. And I'm looking at him and going, dude, that's really cool, that's super nice of you, but at the end of the day, I only have $400,000. I can't just come up with more just because I want to. And if I can't afford it right now, then we need to kick this can down the road. Well, ultimately he came back and he said, you know what, we're good with your number, that's what we're gonna do. He's like, just promise me this, this, and this, which are like basically honor level things that we're doing together. And, and honestly, like those things went without saying. Um, he's a friend and he's, you know, one thing that we weren't willing to abandon in this process was our friendship in that this guy is just, he's taught me so much along the way and he's already got so much more to teach me. Just looking at his business is just, it's incredible what he does. I mean, this guy, he does half my sales with the same amount of profitability. It's, it's incredible. So I have so much that I'm able to learn as we move forward. So we went through and we did the due diligence and we reviewed all the financials and then we just sent out the letter of intent, honestly, just a couple days ago when we started getting it signed and we are full steam ahead on this. The plan is, is that in March of next year, we are going to have high caliber location number two. And it just kind of fell in my lap. It was being out there, being friends with people and hearing the opportunities. So crazy. I'm out there and I'm advising people with these carts and these systems and all this stuff with combat carding. And we had this huge opportunity to get a new fleet of carts. And then I'm out there and talking with my friends about the go-karts and things and about the business. And then I had this huge opportunity to buy a business. And at the end of the day, what I'm trying to get at is I realized the more I'm out there talking with people and getting to know them, the more the high level opportunities come up and things that we really could grow quickly and can benefit us really well as an entire company. So it made me recognize my responsibility is to be out in that market, spending time with people, getting to know their business, understanding where the market is going. Just those things generate so much more for our company. Well, I'd always been kind of <laughs> trying to steer the company over towards, uh, or a combat carding over towards a, uh, uh, getting it out of my hands. So back in, I don't know, like July, an opportunity came up for me to hire a guy that I just admire the crap out of. Um, he is, he's worked with us at, at High Caliber and with Combat, and he's helped us out with grants and funding and business development and all these different things. And the opportunity came up for me to be able to hire him. And we sat down and had lunch and started talking. And I'm, I'm really bad. Once I have like a thing I want to talk about, I'm going to like dive into that. Like I'm the guy who doesn't even say like good morning or hello often. Um, not a good way to be. But anyways, we're standing, we're sitting there, we're talking, we're eating lunch. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to cut to the chase. What would you think about running high, uh, combat carding? And the guy literally like slams his table, hands on the table and goes, yes, of course. And he just kind of talked pulled himself back in. He's like, I'm sorry, got excited, which was what I wanted to see. I wanted to see that excitement. So we bring him, I, I'm getting ready. I'm going to bring him on the team. We're going through the, okay, well, what will that look like? What's it from financial perspective? And I'm realizing that this guy is going to be the most expensive person I have ever hired in my life. And he is going to make more money than I have ever made myself as far as from a salary perspective. And that was hard for me to swallow. And I'd shoot on that for a while going like, man, is this really the right investment? Like, should I be spending this much money on a CEO? I was like, you know what? But if I can do this with him, I can go focus on high caliber and do these things like this second fleet and purchasing the second location, all these different things. Those are the big level things that can generate millions of dollars of revenue. This does make sense. But man, I had such a hard time with it. So I had to call up one of my friends and he's in the, he's 
well ahead of me in business, got a, I don't know, like $40 million company or something. I said, Hey, what was it like the first time you hired somebody like that made more than you? And he was able to tell me exactly who it was. And I'm very intimately knowledgeable about who they were and the process it went. Ultimately that person didn't stay with the company for more than a year. And I asked him, would you do it again? And he said, well, yeah, of course I would, because it wasn't like he, he destroyed my business. He helped me understand what we really needed and got me to that point. So now I knew what I needed. So when I went and hired it. It can be more successful. It made me realize that hiring this guy and spending all this money is not necessarily going to be a make it or break it for the company. It's going to get us to the next step. And I've heard this is they, they say uh, CEOs and people for your company, you need uh, it's a very different person to get you from zero to a million dollars in sales from a million to five million, a different from five million to 15 and 15 to 50 and so on and so forth. And if I think back to it, if somebody came to me today and said, hey, Jordan, will you help me start a family entertainment center that generates, I don't know, $3 million in sales per year? I'd be like, sure, I could do that like in my spare time. Like, what do you want? Like five hours a week of my time? Four years ago, that was what I was hoping to be able to. That was like kind of like the top of what I projected our location to be able to do. And we have far exceeded what that is at high caliber. So. I understand that there's people out there that have done that $50 million and they're, they can do it in their sleep with their five hours a week type of stuff. They get it. And, and so we've spent time going out and getting consultants with that. Well, with this guy, it's like, okay, if that's what he can do, if he can be my guy who can take us up to, you know, five, 10 million, great. That's, you know, we need somebody. So as I'm hiring him on the system into uh, the company, I'm realizing we are missing all sorts of like, we need to modify this and we like, we need to have warehousing and we need to make sure that we have uh, a, an inventory of thing and we need to, uh, of things and we need to be able to invoice customers and quote them stuff. And we need phone system. We need to separate our server out from high caliber because it's still piggybacking off of that. Like all these different things that, you know, really him coming on board, he should do, but they just small things that need to be done that if I just get those things done, he doesn't have to learn those things. They're already finished and he can focus on the bigger priorities. So over the course of the next two months, I just busted my ass getting this company, getting combat carding more structured and more solidified. So he comes on the team and I walk him through everything. He looks at me and goes, what do you need from me? Like, why am I even here? I said, well, the bow is drawn back. I need you to release the arrows. And so we go and we sit and we start making some phone calls. And that day we sold over half a million dollars, just an incredible just an incredible next step. And what it made me realize was, was that I needed more people on the team because the thing that's preventing me from really moving this company forward is I'm doing too many things. And the minute I was able to take my hat off of it and say, we're not doing, I, I don't have to do all these things. We can move really, really fast forward. Now we'd always planned for the first six months of the launch with high, with combat carding that we would do install at one location per month for the course of six months. And we would do it in the Midwest only. Well, the next month, in that next month after I sold those things, we did a brand new installation at High Caliber, all new, you know, on new cards, new systems, new targets. We have like these holographic targets now. We have so much more gamification to it. I mean, our system is freaking badass now. It is so good. We got a couple small tweaks that we're still finishing up right now that's just going to make it nobody, nobody's system's going to be anywhere near ours. And we're just getting started. So. We go and we do the installation at high caliber. Well, at the same time, one of the biggest customers in the world reached out and said, hey, we want to do this with you. Well, we can't say no to that. 
So we installed there as well. Well, at least it was in the Midwest. It was in another state, but oh well, we can do high caliber and we can do another state. That's no major deal. Well, we also got a phone call from Saudi Arabia saying, hey, we want a go-kart track up and running in less than 30 days. And we have never done international business. I have zero experience doing exporting and international business, let alone with an Arabic nation that speaks you know, not a whole lot of English there. But we figured, screw it. Let's see what we can do. So in the month of October, we did three installations, and one of those was international. It was in Saudi Arabia. So we're sitting here and we're going, holy shit, we meant to do one per month and keep it within the, uh, the, the Midwest, and now we did three in a month, and that was international. In addition to that, that was also while we were preparing for IAPA that happened during, in November, which is a, IAPA is a shitload of work. It's a huge trade show. And we have to have all these pieces in place, a bunch of people coming, a bunch of resources, the displays, the booths, the new, uh, you have to finish up all the projects. And I mean, really the best part of a trade show is it forces you to finish up the projects that you have pending so that you can just, you can exhibit them. So we're busting ass, pushing forward with that. And as we sit right here, as I'm recording this, we have the installation done in, in high caliber, the installation done in Saudi Arabia. Installation's basically done in Ohio. The that big customer came back and said, "Hey, we don't want barrels coming out of the Nassau panels, so we had to recreate new boards and new emitters behind it and whatnot." But uh, that'll be finished up next week. We also have gotten a request from the biggest customer for us in the world, and they want us to install the system at their corporate headquarters, which is going to be just very high level, one of the most. Uh, uh, watched and risky installations. So we need to have our shit together. And that's going to be happening here this month. It's uh, December of 2023. It looks like we're going to be doing it at the end of this month or the start of January. Uh, we also have two others that are lined up in the uh, in the United States currently as we're sitting. And really, I mean, just ready to go full steam forward. We have, we've done it internationally and we know what we're capable of doing. We've got the team here now to build the piece in place. Now, don't get me wrong. We still need to set up a lot of stuff. Like, our warehousing is pretty rough right now. Like it, we have all the individual parts. We need to get final assembled uh, components so that we can easily inventory and we can easily ship and stuff and we can do quick and easy installations. When we were doing an installation and uh, the, uh, the the really big customer, the one that we're finishing up here in a little bit, they uh, we had gotten there with all the raw parts. And when I say raw parts, I'm saying like, Hudboard display, heads up, dis uh, flip up screen, hinges, wiring harnesses, all these things. And we had to assemble everything on site. And the installer that I had hired and I, we were sitting there talking and we're like, holy shit, 75% of what we've done in this install, we could have done before we came here. And we would have just been able to knock this out so much faster and looked so much more professional. So now we want to set up a warehouse and a manufacturing series of things of, to, of like, this is the order of everything that'll happen. Along with this whole process, we also signed a deal. We are officially uh, working with a one of the largest uh, international distributors of different carding technologies, stuff that like new to the industry. So we bought our Sandy boxes from him. We bought our mini cards from him. He's able to identify the trends that are happening in this industry internationally and push those things out. <coughs> he is now a partner with the company, a part owner, and is driving his ass off to get the sales out there. So we're going to set up the company to really just blow it up out there, just start crushing installs and take over this market. Because honestly, just 
unbiased perspective looking at this, it is very clear we have the best system that's out there. Hands down, best experience, lowest cost, it just makes sense for our system. So we are set to be, to really take over the market. So as we're sitting here, everything line, is lined up. We've got the biggest customers in the world that have agreed to do installs. One of them we're almost done with already. The next one is, yep, let's roll and we're gonna do it at the corporate headquarters as well. This company is ready to set to explode. So even more so, I need to be getting myself to focus on the really high level stuff. Because if I think back to what some of our issues were in the past, was that I was so busy putting one foot in front of the other, I wasn't paying attention to the direction we were going. And now I've got a second location that's gonna be under my belt and I have to work through that. And I have this other startup company that has really taken off, has uh, really moving forward quickly that I'm in control of. Now I know I said, you know, I hired that CEO and he got it all up, uh, you know, to come in and take it over. When I came back from my app, I had a surprise and he resigned. He looked at how much work and everything it took and said, I can't do this. This is too much. Now, mind you, I've been doing this shit for three, four years now while starting another company. I'm managing the things that needed to be, that he should have been doing while I'm doing installs by myself over in Saudi Arabia. Like at the end of the day, the guy just really didn't have it in him to be able to do what a startup CEO should be doing. He wasn't CEO level. Now, he's a great guy and everything. He just was not ready for that level of uh, responsibility and execution. And maybe he's somebody who should be a higher dollar value company where you know he's focusing on big strategic projects and stuff. Maybe we're just not there yet today. But at the end of the day, I look back to what the advice my friend gave me on that and where he said, it may not be what you need, but it'll let you know what you need next. And when I look back at this and I go, okay, what do I actually need? What I need is for people to do the things that they're capable of doing so I can focus on the things that I'm good at. Now, I have a hard time with this because I often don't want to ask people to, let's say, clean the bathrooms because it's something that I don't enjoy doing. So it makes it hard for me to because I just imagine that they probably don't enjoy it either. But what I've realized is, is that there's some people that don't have the opportunity to clean the bathroom. They don't have a way to make money. There's also people who don't have the opportunity to travel internationally to bolt on systems onto carts and see these entertainment venues. They are very happy to do the things that I just can't do. I literally just, it's a massive uh, stress on my shoulders to be able to do all that. I need to stop doing the things that I feel like need to be done and start doing the things that I am good at. And more and more, as I see that I lean into that, we go faster and faster and it gets bigger and bigger, both of the companies. Problem is, is you can't really just do that overnight. It's not like you can just say, oh, well, here's the things that I'm good at, so here's the hiring of all these people. At the end of the day, you've gotta earn it first. And that same friend that told me about the CEO, he also said, you'll have it when you've earned it. And I often reflect back to that of, yeah, like I feel like I earned this you know, new truck, but I don't have it. Obviously, I haven't earned it yet because if I had earned it, it would be a really easy decision for me to say, okay, I'm gonna go get this. I wouldn't have to even think through the financial aspect of it. Obviously, I'm not at that point yet. When I have my Lamborghini that I dream of, that is going to be something where I go, oh, it is okay for me to go spend $300,000. That's no big deal on a car. Right now I'm going, why would I ever spend $300,000 on a car? But there's a point where that's going to happen. It's going to transition. That'll be when I earn that stuff. So as I look over at this, I'm going, okay, I need to get these people to be doing the hands-on things here and peel myself off of all the nuts and bolts turning and you know, pre-assembling these components, get people who are doing those things. 
then I can focus on the high level stuff. And I'm realizing how much value I may I bring to high caliber by going to all these entertainment sites all around the world and interacting with, with all these vendors all around the world. I get to see the direction the industry is heading and it allows me to be the head of that and say, this is what we've got to do and this is what we have to do to move forward. So really, I need to be the CEO of both companies because they feed one another. They're so, like, at Combat Carding, I get to say, hey, from an industry perspective, we need this done. This is going to be what's beneficial. This is how we're going to drive sales because I'm an operator. And from a, a, a high caliber perspective, I'm able to say, hey, here's what we need to do with the new entertainment venues. And this is what the immersion should look like. And here's the vendor partners we should be working with because these are the people that we're seeing be used by the massive giants out there and the people that are successful. I can see it in operation at places and go, oh, wow, that would work really well for us. And both companies pay me to do that. And they pay for the travel and the time and the lodging and the meals and the relationships. And I get to do really cool shit along the way. It's just going back to that, you know, every experience that you have has some level of value. Just how can you apply that stuff? Now, don't get me wrong. It makes it to where, you know, it's Saturday uh, right now. And at 530 in the morning, I'm recording a podcast, which is, you know, something that's hopefully beneficial for people out there. But, you know, everything I put out there always seems to have some level of return back to me, too. Now, I'm not doing this because I'm hoping it returns back to me. I'm doing it because I want to put this out there for it to help other people. But somehow the world always seems to come back and pay back in dividends for this stuff. So I'm going to continue operating my life in that manner. I'm going to continue growing both of these companies. I'm going to have a shitload of fun doing it. And I really can just only imagine that life is going to keep getting better and better. So there's my update, guys. I mean, obviously, some key points on this was the, you know, you'll have it when you've earned it. Uh, the hiring the people that is not necessarily going to make or break you if you put somebody in a role, but it's going to help you understand and get you to the next step. You're going to need different people for different positions. You know, if you're a, if you're hiring a CEO and you're a $1 million company, you're going to need a different person than if you're a, a, hiring a CEO for a $50 million company. And then also outside of that is valuing your time again, making sure that you know how much you're worth and honoring that worth and working towards focusing on the things that you're good at. Early on, you got to be everything. As you grow, you need to be less everything and more the key important things. And working through that through your team and never forgetting that they are in the phase you were before, where their new priority thing may be the thing that you need to shed right now, and they're happy to take it over. So don't forget, people are happy to help you out if you give them the opportunity to. But with that, guys, hopefully uh, we'll be seeing this one, one uh, about a month from now. We're going to be going through strategic planning. So it's December of 2023 right now. Typically, the last few weeks of December, the team tries to take some time off and just focus on executing the sales that we have. It's a really busy time of year for us. And we focus on what is 2024 going to look like? Well, I know what 2024 is going to look like for me. It's going to be a lot of installations with combat carding. It's going to be a lot more sales because we're adding a second location and a lot of learning. Now, I want to finish up by say, by pointing this out. So I'm sitting here at my computer and I've got a sticky note that I stuck on my computer back in December of last year, pretty much right when, uh, almost exactly a year ago, when I was going into 2024 planning, I just finished it up. And here were my things for, for last year. I want to get combat carding successful this year. Yeah, I guess I didn't really define success, but installing internationally and generating like eight times the revenue I did the prior year, I think is a pretty good start. Uh, and having four times the number of people on the team. 
I want to get together with friends more. We've Casey, Zach, and I have stayed pretty consistent to every other Tuesday. We spend at least four hours together just doing something. Typically ends up being either fishing or Mario Kart or racing a sketch car around the property. Uh, I've traveled a lot more with my wife and daughter. I've spent way more time with them than I ever did before. There's no doubt about that. And I really, I'm leaning more into that in 2024. This has been such a great year. I want to limit how much of this I'm doing out of duty. And honestly, I would have said probably prior to two months ago, all of combat carding was out of duty. It wasn't out of joy anymore. And now I'm starting to recognize how much fun I'm having with it. As I was transitioning over to a new CEO, I was really having a hard time letting go. I started realizing how much I really enjoyed that company and how much I like to, to play with the new projects and what's going to come out and innovation and stuff and learning from the other people and the, the friendships I make along the way. So I would say doing this out of duty, I have eliminated probably a good 80% of that out of both, both companies. And then another less, uh, thing I have on the list is I need to do it with the people I want to do it with. And that is really just, I'm not selling to the companies uh, with combat carding just because they have money. I'm doing it with the things that I'm like, this is going to be a hell of an experience. You know, an example for Saudi Arabia was, yeah, don't get me wrong, they were willing to throw a lot of money at the project. But really it was, wow, I'm going to get the opportunity to go live in Saudi Arabia for like two and a half weeks. That's incredible. Like, when am I going to have that opportunity again? And it's going to be paid for? Like, let's go. Let's do this. Um, and I met, uh, oh man, I met so many friends like, oh God, Saudi Arabia, the people there are just so wonderful. I just, they are great there. And it, it was just such a wonderful experience, but I'm doing this, uh, you know, I've in the past, I've ran into a lot of people that we've had to work with that we didn't like to work with. Cause they were honestly kind of assholes. And I've really just walked away from those. Um, part of the decisions I've made with combat carding of not moving forward in certain areas was literally that it was this isn't worth working with assholes for. I'm going to work with the people I want to work with and grow it at that rate. You know, down the road, there may be somebody that says, hey, I'm cool with uh, working with those assholes. That's perfectly fine by me because they pay the bills. Great. I don't need it, so I'm not going to focus on that. And the last thing was I need to risk less so that I can do these things. Well, that one I failed on. I am still incredibly risky. I still throw it all on red, basically. And part of this acquisition of the second location is really going to make that difficult to do because when you take over a company that makes as much profit as you do with half the sales and you have the uh, multiple years of financials to back that up when you take it over you can't let that go the other direction because otherwise then you're really making it clear that you're the problem you're the one that's wasting money you're the one that's not uh being fiduciary uh, uh, giving fiduciary responsibility which is like the core of being a CEO. So taking on this second location, I literally woke up this morning and realized, holy shit, this is going to handcuff me to having to be incredibly tight with the funds and very good about the business operations. It's a really wonderful thing because if we apply what's happening at that location to the location we're at with twice as many sales, all we're going to do is have more opportunity to grow. It's going to be hard, but nothing worthwhile is easy. All right, guys. Well, Hopefully you enjoyed my rant here. That was probably one of my longer ones, but uh, there's your update. There's where we sit, and I'm looking forward to giving you another one. You guys have a great day. Go kick some ass. See ya.